This week on the FIFA America podcast, we're going to be talking through some inform Americans. Finally, players like Josh Sargent and Yunus Musa get on the score sheet. We have a new transfer tracker to tra- track all of the confirmed transfers, tongue twister, and some of the rumored ones. Maybe one is Matt Turner to Arsenal and potentially Jesse Marsh coaching Everton. We'll see how we all feel about that. And then uh, the big piece of news this week is that the U.S. men's national team roster for the January World Cup qualifiers are out. So we will have all of the reactions up next. But first, we need to talk about these Americans that scored this past week and some that are just about to start while we record. Weston McKinney looks to be in the starting lineup for Juventus. And I think someone else I might be forgetting is about to start. Serginho Serginho Dest for Barcelona. There we go. Awesome. So guys, before we start, need to check in. Ryan, how's it going over there in Kaiserslautern, Germany? Good, man. We're getting a good little cold front through. We haven't really had a good snow here yet. And considering last year, I spent my first year out here in Bavaria, we definitely got significantly more snow out there. So missing that a little bit. Uh, but besides that, man, thank God there's been a whole bunch of games to watch over the past two weekends. And, you know, you can never run out if you, you know, if you need to, you can start watching games that are Portuguese league games or, you know, late Eterbisa games. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun to at least be able to pass the time with games. Yeah. There's some Americans growing in the Portuguese league. So there's always going to be someone to watch. Tom, how about you? It might be a bit warmer in New Mexico. Yeah. It's been a lot warmer during the day at night. It's really cold, but during the day it's like, you know, mid fifties, always sunny. We had a lot of snow last year too, Ryan. We haven't seen a single bit of snow in Socorro yet. So a little disappointed in that as well. But this is the beginning of my semester. I just had my first week of classes, which means that the sprint has officially started. I have three months to finish my master's thesis and have not started writing it yet. So that is the order of the agenda for the next two weeks is to start that process. And so that's what I'm doing in between podcast recordings is writing my (laughs) master's thesis. (laughs) about to say recording these and doing the homework for it probably doesn't help your productivity on (laughs) on the thesis Nope, (laughs) not at all (laughs) awesome guys well let's get into some of the inform americans going into this world cup qualifying break i'm gonna let ryan take this first one because he's been the the big fan of josh Sargent on this podcast at least continuing to hype him up letting us know that there's still something in the tank for him ryan some crazy goals this weekend from Josh Sargent. The first one in the Premier League was maybe a Puskas nominee. What do you think of his performance? I would definitely agree with you. I think it is a Puskas nominee. I mean, when uh, Louis Giroud, he scored a goal somewhat similar to that. Grant his was, you know, with a little bit of pace off the heel of Flake versus, uh, you know, Sargent was more or less just a little redirection. But yeah, I mean, just... So thrilled for the kid. You know, he really deserves it. He's been grinding away. It just seems like things hadn't been falling his way. I don't think things have been falling Norwich's way in general for the first half of the season. They've been suffering a bunch of injuries, and now they're starting to get healthy, get some guys back. You can definitely see the spring back in Josh's legs coming back from the time away from having a a child. Because you could definitely see a little bit before that, that, you know, he wasn't quite fully the Josh Sarson that we've gotten used to seeing. So, to see him come back after having a kid, score three goals in two games, you know, one being the first and the own goal, but we'll give him a little bit of credit. Uh, it's just, yeah, really exciting. And I think it's, you know, speaks a little bit towards 
why I wanted him in this roster. I think he offered a little bit more than a couple others that were called in. When we talked about that earlier, you guys weren't weren't big fans. Or Jake, you said that you know you were waiting for him to do something to to give you confidence. Which was this enough for you over the weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the conversation is so close between our strikers that aren't named Ricardo Pepe that honestly I wouldn't have been bothered if Josh Sargent was called in before these performances. But I think especially for strikers, you have to start calling in players that have high confidence that are in form. And I will say like the roster came out about two hours before Josh Sargent scored these goals. So it's kind of hindsight for Greg Berhalter, but I will say like Josh Sargent, absolutely. If, if you're scoring in a league like the premier league and you could, the big thing for me, at least with Josh Sargent's performance is that second goal that he scored where he just attacked the ball in the air was a different Josh Sargent than you would have seen for the last five or six weeks. He just wasn't doing that. He wasn't confident in his abilities. He wasn't really looking like a dangerous player out on the field, but you could tell immediately the confidence was back. He wanted to have that feeling again to score again, and he attacked that ball in the air for that second goal. So I think, yeah, if we had another go at it and the roster comes out after that game, <laughs> maybe we'd be you know, more more pressured to whine a little bit more about Josh Sargent not being on the roster. But I just think it's a bit unfortunate. Now, I will say you can call up players. You, you only have to announce your official roster 24 hours before the World Cup qualifying games happen. So there's really nothing stopping Greg Berhalter from calling in Josh Sargent now and bringing him to camp except for his pride, probably Greg Berhalter's pride. <laughs> so that, that to me is kind of what's stopping him. And it's just unfortunate that the roster was released before that game happened. But Tom, what, what do you think? I, I think the roster was actually released a little closer. I, in my thought, it was the roster was released. And then literally like 55 seconds later, Josh Sargent scored that first goal. It was like bang, bang. <laughs> and I think it was shout out to Jonathan Slate of broadcast Broadway sports media in Nashville crediting Josh Sargent for scoring when literally no one in American soccer was paying attention to him <laughs> um, for that first goal. Um, but yeah, it was a great to see. The second goal almost reminded me of something I'd see from Weston McKenney Crashing late on the box and attacking a header like that was a very Weston McKenney thing to do. A very confident, not quite the Josh Sargent we've seen of the past year or so move to actually go in and score that goal. So really happy to see him sort of get back into form and I think if he keeps up this pace, he'll be a lock for the the March window. I think his form has been the only thing keeping him out of the roster. And if he just continues to build on the success. And in some ways, it might be a good thing that we're not taking him out of that rhythm that he's in in Norwich right now. Take, put him in a new environment that's going to be a struggle. We're going to let him stay and continue to build that confidence and continue to work with his teammates. Rashika assisted the second goal. That's the first time in a two and a half years they played together that Rashika delivered an assist to Josh Sargent. So maybe that they finally unlocked the code as assisting each other. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good thing to see it happening. And I hope that it continues for Josh Sargent because, man, he, when he's on form, he's a great striker. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about the striker pool when we get to the World Cup qualifying roster. But someone that we know is going to be part of the starting 11 and got their first goal in La Liga this season was Yunus Musa, who took the ball, cut inside, and scored a really nice, powerful strike from just inside the box. Yunus Musa is now on the score sheet in La Liga for Valencia. 
He's had a string of starts recently in, against Real Madrid. He was playing in the cup games as well. And now to see him do that against a team like Atletico Madrid, what are you guys thinking about Yunus Musa coming into this World Cup qualifying roster? Are we a team in form and in fitness finally? You almost have to say, yeah. I, I mean, say- Yunus Musa has been on fire in La Liga. The announcers for the game were talking about how much they liked him in the center of the midfield and getting him, see him in his natural position. It's been fantastic to watch him work in that Valencia midfield. They dominated the first half of that game and that goal, he had like a 75 yard run to get to the ball. So these are the things you like to see from Musa. And if he's playing with confidence there, <laughs> the sky's the limit from him playing with an informed Weston McKenney as well. I think we are in for special things this week. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Well, yeah, Jake, you were saying, are we finally getting a fully informed? We're close. We're, we're definitely very close. You know, unfortunately, still missing guys like Gio, I think, is going to be an integral part going forward. But we're, we're so close. Definitely in the MMA midfield, it seems like we're getting three guys that are informed, ready to go. Uh, it's, it's been really fun to watch the growth of Yunus Musa over the last like few months at, at Valencia. Because, I mean, as you guys were saying, this, he's strung together quite a few games in a row, starting between playing La Liga matches and then uh, cup fixtures. But also, too, he's been playing all over the field. So, you know, he's been playing in the middle, been playing out right. Today he was out left and able to, you know, cut in on his right foot to finish that off. Uh, he's just a guy that has so much versatility and is a guy that we really can't be without in that MMA midfield. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Greg manages minutes throughout the window just because – We do have someone like Tyler on a yellow. I think we'll talk a bit more about that later. So, you know, at least we have someone like Musa and McKenney both in good form. And then McKenney's just coming back, if I remember correctly. He's already served his suspension due to yellow cards, so he shouldn't be on a yellow if I remember correctly. Fact check me on that. Uh, You're right. You're right. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I'll even give a shout-out to just increase the scope of our midfield in form. Luca De La Torre has strung together a few man-of-the-match performances no goals or assists, but he's put in man of the match performances over the last two games for Heracles. And he's, again, to me, we talked about this last week. He's kind of the like-for-like substitute for Yunus Musa. So if we need to manage any minutes for anything within the eights, I really feel good about putting Luca De La Torre on the field. I don't know how Greg feels about Luca De La Torre and putting him on the field and trusting him with these World Cup qualifiers. But I think for me, like he's the closest to that MMA midfield until... Geo gets back and potentially pushes to be an eight or a 10. Yeah. I, I think that it's worth noting that for, especially Luca Della Torre, I, there are rumors going around that he was in a last minute addition to the roster to replace Busio for COVID. So we'll see if Burhalter sees him as the first man off the bench instead of Busio, because he doesn't have that option anymore. Or if he sees him just getting spot minutes, I, I think he, he wouldn't have called him in if he didn't expect him to play. And I think that especially Yunus Musa is the one that I would expect us to pull off the field if we're going to pull a midfielder off. So De La Torre makes the most sense of anyone in our pool to sort of spell Musa and give us some rest, some minutes off the bench to rest Musa. Absolutely. All right, guys. So we're going to move to the transfer tracker, but make sure that you keep following the show because we are going to have a full preview of the window coming up in the next few days. We'll obviously talk about the roster I think we we want a bit more time to really break down all three games and what the kind of game sense and strategy will be. But guys, so there's two confirmed transfers that we need to talk about. The first is Cole Bassett to Feyenoord in the Dutch League. 
And then today, it's just been confirmed that uh, the Roma right back from Dallas, um, damn, Brian Reynolds, and so many names flying around. Brian Reynolds is moving to Kortrijk in the Belgium first division as well. Guys, what do you think about these confirmed moves? I, I think Cole Bassett, maybe we'll just start there. Coming from Colorado, they've gotten rid of a lot of their better players when they moved from last place to first this season with players like Kellen Acosta, Sam Vines, Cole Bassett. They're all gone now. So what do you think about this move from for Cole Bassett going into the Dutch division and being a probably the third largest team aside from Ajax and PSV? Yeah, I think it's really important to point out what, you know, the club that he's going to is not just a small team club over in Holland, but one of the bigger clubs there that's known for transferring on talent. So I think it's the perfect place for him to end up. Uh, you know, a lot of times people, when they talk about people being either pro MLS or pro like the European players, I think Cole Bassett is like the perfect example of the MLS player that a lot of the fans have been clamoring for to see with the USMNT potentially. Uh, he's always been kind of on the verge, but unable to break through with guys like Voltan and Leggett always getting called in. So I, I don't think it's necessarily being pro just the guys that are over here in Europe. But I think Cole Bassett is the perfect example of a guy that performed well in the friendly, is, you know, scored a goal to win it for us against Bosnia in December. So, you know, really excited to see him test the waters over here. And if I remember, it's an 18-month loan, I believe. And so, yes. you know, he's got a little bit of time, you know, got a little bit of time to test the waters. If he's able to break through and, you know, get bought, then fantastic to him. If not, he can at least go back to Colorado and say he tried. But I think he's the perfect example of players that people want to see potentially getting a run out with the national team compared to some of the same old retreads. Bassett, to me, is is a perfect example of the quintessential MLS American who just runs and runs and runs and just doesn't stop running. He just... He's going to be a high-energy player. He's going to, I think he's going to slot right into Feyenoord's system and play really well for them. There's uh, reports that he really impressed the fitness in his fitness test and that he's. I think he's going to be very successful. Um, I'm glad to see him getting a chance to go over to Europe and especially, you know, the Dutch league playing for one of those three big teams is the perfect place to develop. It could mean big things for his career. And given how thin we are at the midfield, especially in the eight right now, I would just love to see him break out. I, we just need more talent there. Busio and Luca Del Torre are starting to break through, but beyond Musa McKenney, Busio, Luca Del Torre, we don't have a whole lot of talent breaking through at the eight in Europe. So getting another chance at that and another player who could break into the national team is a great thing. And, you know, just happy for the kid to finally get his shot. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me that we're saying words like finally or he's going to get a shot like he's 20 years old now he but the fact of the matter is he has 70 appearances in mls already so he's obviously a trusted guy obviously someone that has improved and become a professional very quickly i watched his introduction video you you all should go watch it with the fan yard uh youtube like he is so poised and ready to go very polished as a professional and you can tell that that's the type of player that you want on the team to just keep pushing and pushing other players around them and pushing themselves. He talked a lot about how this move is up for him about kind of increasing his level and trying to see what his ceiling is. Personally, I think that's such a great mentality for a player to have and go over to Europe. I think in the 18 months, he's going to show enough to 
whether it's Feyenoord or another European team, he'll he'll be over for here for a long while. So the next player, Brian Reynolds, again, an MLS product, didn't have too many uh, appearances in MLS, but came from the FC Dallas Academy, maybe moved to Roma a little bit too early in his career, didn't seem to be at the level that Mourinho or the Italian league was kind of at, but now he's going to the Belgium first division. So maybe, Tom, why don't we start with you? What do you think about this move? Uh, currently, Kortrijk is in eighth place in the Belgium first division. I think it's just important that he's going to finally get minutes. That's sort of been the one thing we've been missing from Brian Reynolds to sort of see what his level is. He only has, what, 20 professional appearances in his career or something like that. He just doesn't have a whole lot of minutes under his belt playing professional soccer. So getting a chance to go to a team, probably not the best team in Belgium, not a team that's sort of known for developing high-end talent, but it's a team that's going to give him minutes. He'll go and get a chance to play week in and week out and really work on his game. I, we know he's got a great cross. We know he's very energetic, a very fast player, but his defensive positioning, his defensive ability still, I think, leaves people a little bit in question. So we'll see what he does with this loan. If he's very successful, it could mean minutes at Roma finally, but that might just be a wait out Mourinho type of situation. Yeah, it does seem um, there's no purchase option. So Ryan, do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that means more that Roma is trusting that he'll develop into eventually a starter for that team? I mean, yeah, the one thing I think when you see Brian Reynolds play, you don't doubt for a minute is his athleticism. And those are the things that can't be taught. So for him to go to a little bit of a lower level league like Belgium, that is a little bit more technical is, you know, those kind of things that he needs to be working on day in, day out and getting game minutes. So I see that as a perfect opportunity for him to go in there and finally get some minutes that he's been lacking over at Roma. Because again, like I said, you, you don't doubt his athleticism, his speed, in the last appearance he had with the national team, he came over on an overlap, like, and you could just tell that he's, he's just an inch away. He's just that next step of really becoming a more polished player. So as he continues to get regular minutes, I think it's just the addition to his game. And I think the fact that it is just alone gives, tells us that Roma is confident that if he just develops a little bit of that next aspect of his game, that he can come back and be a contributor at Roma. Yeah. All right, so the next one we have to talk about is more of just a rumor, but it looks like there is so where there's smoke, there's fire. And Matt Turner potentially is going to Arsenal where they are going to be getting rid of Leno, but obviously Ramsdale has kind of gotten that first spot and stuck to it for Arsenal. So if Matt Turner goes there, he's probably going to be second or third string on the bench for Arsenal. Guys, this is going to be a tough one because Zach Steffen, as we know, is in that exact same position for Manchester City. For goalkeepers, it's all about game time. What do you guys think about Matt Turner to Arsenal? Now, Ryan, I'm going to start with you because apparently I didn't know this, but you're a gunner at heart. How would you feel about seeing an American goalkeeper at Arsenal? If we got to see him, uh, I think I'd be really excited about it. Uh, I just don't see him necessarily getting more than maybe cut minutes if he goes there. So selfishly, as a fan of the U.S. national team, you know, I want to see him anywhere that he's continuing to get minutes. And I just don't see that as Arsenal right now. But on the other hand, I understand where the guy's at in his career. You know, this could be one of the opportunities he has to kind of work on the momentum that he's had over the past year with New England, you know, coming on with the national team. So he's kind of made a bigger name for himself over the past year. And I don't blame him at all if he's going to cash in on it. 
you know, the type of money that you could be making as a backup keeper in London versus what you're making as a starting keeper in New England is life altering money. So, you know, I've, I'm not going to hate on the guy if he chooses to go over and, you know, try to break through at Arsenal. And if he does it come over, then best of luck to him. would love to see him break in. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's, if as a fan, I want him to stay getting minutes in New England. But also rationally, you got to understand this guy's got to has a chance to cash in. So I'm not going to hold back on him if he chooses to. Yeah. Tom, what would it mean to have two goalkeepers going into the World Cup next year where they're both sitting on the bench for two of the better teams in the world? It would open the door for anyone getting minutes at a big at any club to really, you know, <laughs> push for a starting job. It would sort of leave the door open for a starter to sort of supplant those two. This is one of those situations where what's best for the national team is not really what's best for the player. I completely understand Matt Turner wanting to do this because, yeah, he's 27 years old. He just was dominant in a Continental Cup. He just led New England Rebs to a supporter shield, which they've never done before. He's had the best season of his career, and he was an undrafted keeper out of college. He's not a guy who was projected to be a huge prospect. He's come on late and really just shown out in the last couple of years. The chance to go to Arsenal, to a team that's paying that much money in London, it doesn't really matter if he's not going to play. This is dream come true type money for him. This is a dream come true type situation for him. It would be very hard for the player to turn down that money, even though it means his national team career is, you know, going to be hindered by this. Because, you know, who doesn't want to leave MLS and go to one of the biggest clubs in the world to play? So it sucks for us as national team fans because... Yeah, we don't have a starting keeper right now if Turner goes. We have Stefan on the bench in London. It's Man- or In Manchester, Manchester City, we have Turner on the bench in London at Arsenal. We have Horvath on the bench in, uh, I guess, Nottingham. Forest is where he's at right now, currently not playing. So we don't know who our starting keeper will be because no one's getting minutes. Is this the start of the Bill Hamid redemption story? Sean Johnson, Starter. man. I was going to say, get yeah. your Sean Johnson jersey out. Yeah. <laughs> the, the chance that Sean Johnson starts our first World Cup game just went from 1% to 20%. If, if Put, some yeah. Put some money on it. Put some money on it. All right, guys. So we're not going to talk about a player, but this next rumor that we have to talk about is Jesse Marsh, the recently fired coach from RB Leipzig, going to Everton, potentially, who has just fired... Rafa Benitez, guys, Everton is a mainstay in the Premier League, but they are in relegation form. Would this be a good move? Uh, Okay, one, would this be a good move for Jesse Marsh? And two, would you be excited to see another American take a try, take a swing at the Premier League? Uh, I don't think this is the shot. Like, (laughs) it's just... Yeah. Like, they're already going to be putting Marsh under a microscope. So if you're talking about a team that's constantly in the Premier League in a relegation battle, last thing that Jesse Marsh needs is to, you know, be the scapegoat for them to to say that that's the reason that they weren't able to come back in the second half of the season. So, no, I I think as as of right now, if anything, Jesse's smart if he just waits it out. He's had a couple other offers, uh, I think, coming out of – there was one for Dynamo Kiev, I believe, I saw – so there's, you know, Champions League level teams, lower end Champions League, but still, uh, or Europa level teams that are looking at him. So he'll have an opportunity. I don't think that going to England right now for Everton under the microscope is the right place to go. Yeah. What do you think, Tom? 
Yeah, that might be the worst team in England to go to right now is Everton. They are a dumpster fire, and it doesn't anytime soon. They're awful talent like Dinier. It just there's no good upside to being the scapegoat there. It's just gonna lead to him getting hate and not being set up to succeed and probably getting fired sooner rather than later. Yeah, I feel like for Jesse, he's more of a implement a style and then see results coach. He's not a coach that I would necessarily want to bring in to help like solidify and maintain a team's position in the Premier League while they're having such a crazy fall. He, like I think about someone like Dean Smith or Alan Pardew who comes in stabilizes the situation, gets draws, you know, ekes out some victories with some counterattacks. Jesse Marsh is not that type of coach. And if the team doesn't, (laughs) you know, completely implement his style and if they're not made for it, then this could go really, really poorly. So I'm with you guys. I don't think this is the time for Jesse to go to Everton. I think if it was the winter and he had a transfer window and he had a training camp to be with the team and start the season fresh, then this is a completely different conversation. But Everton needs help stabilizing their position in the Premier League. Above them, you know, are teams like Leeds, Brentford. Are they really better than those teams right now? I I don't know. Um, and below them are Norwich, Newcastle. Like, it's going to be a slog to try and stay in the Premier League this year for Everton. And yeah, I, I just don't think, I just can't see Jesse being the answer to that. No. All right, guys. Now we're going to move to the big in. The World Cup qualifying roster for January is now out. We're going to go position by position to talk through what this looks like for the U.S. But at first, I just kind of want to get your initial thoughts when you saw this roster came out. What stuck out to you? What kind of hit your mind first? And then we'll we'll start walking through position by position, how we feel about certain players and the roster build. But Ryan, you saw the roster come out. What's the first or second thing that came to mind? I think the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway was was 28 players, right? 27, 28? 28, uh, but four keepers. Yeah, that was with four keepers, right. So immediately when I saw that, you know, people can be up in arms of who's on the roster, who's not on the roster. But I saw the 28, and my first thought was, all right, then who's the 23? Because right now it's it's easy to say, you know, why isn't Scally there? Why isn't Sergeant there? Why isn't Brooks there? And make all these second guesses. And and I agree, you know, those guys should be there in my opinion. But right now my biggest concern is, okay, well, we have 28 people in camp. Who's going to be the 23 on game day? Because there are some specific people on this roster that if they're not in the game day roster, like Luca De La Torre, that it's really frustrating to see a guy like him get brought in but not make the game day roster. So for me, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Still curious to see on game day who are the Yeah, definitely. How about you, Tom? I I was with Ryan where I immediately, I saw the roster drop and counted the players before I even looked at who they were to see how many we'd actually brought in and was actually glad to see 28 because basically it was the exact roster we had. We had 27. They basically had 27 plus an additional keeper. So Good to see that Burhalter's with us and that we need more players. We don't know who's going to test positive for COVID. Canada's kind of going through that right now where players are going to be missing because of COVID cases. So relieved to see that we had 
a good number of players in camp, although I kind of would have liked to see 30, but that's beside the point. Um, from there, I don't know. My reaction was kind of just to shrug. It was sort of the exact roster I expected, give or take one or two players. I don't really know why people were up in arms about it. I know that it's frustrating to see, you know, one player or another not get called in, but in general, this is the roster we've seen for pretty much every single window. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's the roster. <laughs> it's tough for me when it's kind of like, I know what the starting 11 is going to be or nine out of the starting 11 and the other two I'm fine with either option, but those that I feel very comfortable with those 11 players on the field. But then when you start to dig into, you know, the Joe Scallies of the world, the is Luca De La Torre even going to make the bench? Uh, John Brooks in inform John Brooks at Wolfsburg, although today's game wasn't the best showing from him. Those are the things that yes, I'm upset about, but if we kind of go with our best 11 and the next two or three after that, we probably don't have a, it wouldn't have changed the outcome, I should say. Yes, yeah. I can be upset with it, but I don't necessarily think bringing John Brooks as your fourth center back, you know, behind Zimmerman, Richards, and Miles Robinson is going to change an outcome unless, you know, we do have a COVID outbreak or unless there are freak injuries, which then this expanded roster kind of takes care of. So, guys, let's start with the goalkeepers. Mentioned we are bringing four goalkeepers. That is Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner. And I think a surprise for all of us was Gabriel Slanina. We haven't brought four goalkeepers for any of these World Cup qualifying rosters. So what was the reaction to this? I know we kind of, everyone expected the first three, right? But then Slanina kind of sneaks in. Is this an indication or a, a slap on the back for how he did in the January camp? Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I think it's an indication that Poland's been calling. That was my takeaway from it was, you know, I think that they're speaking earlier of where there's smoke, there's fire. We had heard reports that the Polish national team had been reaching out to him. So I think, you know, expert move by the U.S. Soccer Federation to bring in a young guy like this. Greg's been quoted before as saying that he thinks the goalkeeper room needs to get a little younger. Um, so with Ochoa leaving, you know, we have the next guy up with Agas Bonina. And it's, you know, I'd say, I'd say he's earned it over the past year to be the next young upcoming kid. So I think he's been rewarded with a chance to come in and train with the national team, but I, I don't see us, you know, having him suit up or anything like that on game day, but I feel a great learning opportunity for the kid. Yeah. Yeah. This is a predatory dual nat recruitment call up. Poland has not just been rumored to be reaching out to him, but has been rumored to be scheduling a camp for the national team in the U S to specifically re re recruit Polish dual nationals. So yeah, this is a, we're going to keep Poland at bay. This is also almost a dig at David Ochoa, who was not called up of Mexico's four goalkeepers to their roster. So it's Greg Berhalter saying, hey, if you're a promising dual national and you stick with us, we're going to make sure you get time in camp to see what it's all about. So I like the call-up. I think it's a really good idea. We have the space. There's no limit on how many players you can call up. Heck, was it? It was either Ecuador or Bolivia called 45 one window. You can call as many as Bolivia, you want, so yeah. might as well call up a kid. <laughs> yeah, I agree. M maybe not so much predatory. Like that's to me implies that he doesn't deserve it. It seems like he's really done the work and put in oh, the yeah. time and effort to to get onto this roster. But yeah, I, it's obvious that he's kind of number four on this list. 
So guys, putting you on the spot, I mean, nine out of the 11 players in the starting 11, we kind of know already. Do you prefer Zach Steffen or Matt Turner to start these World Cup qualifying games? I think I so prefer Steffen at I home. Think, yeah, I would, I would agree. I think Steffen at home, but I think it's going to be interesting to look at the weather for each game. Um, you know, if, if it is windy and icy and rainy in some of these games, it's not going to be pretty football. So if it's not going to be pretty football, we might need to go with Matt Turner in that situation. Uh, but if we do have an opportunity to play out of the back and play the ball on the ground, then we definitely need to favor Stefan. So I think on game day, you're going to know right from the beginning, once we see the roster come out, just look at the keeper and that should tell us what we should expect of the style of play for the day. Yeah, I, I think we expect both Honduras and El Salvador to hang back to play pretty defensive and if that's the case, then for me, Stefan makes sense just with his passing range that we can sort of build from the back, play Stefan a little bit higher, use him to sort of help start new attacks once they inevitably give the ball up within 30 seconds of getting it. So, but at the same time, yeah, I do think that Turner is a better pure shot stopper. And if we're really not going to play much possession, especially, you know, against Canada, although Eustachio being out might change that a little bit, Turner makes sense to play. It will be very dependent on the game, how Burhalter wants to play it. But I do think Burhalter sees Stefan as the starter in his mind, especially with Turner being out of season. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, Matt Turner is the one that's gotten the majority of time with Greg Burhalter over the last few months. So we'll see how much that comes into play. But I agree. Zach Stefan, for me, is probably just an inch above Matt Turner in the depth chart right now. If we get to a point where, you know, it's icy and the field conditions call for a really messy game, I think you have a, a chance for Matt Turner to really slot in there and be the shot stopper for the team. All right, guys, on to defenders. We're, we're getting a bit more juicy now. The goalkeepers, right? Not a, a crazy conversation, but... Be the juiciest so of go, the conversations. <laughs> yes, I, I would agree. So <laughs> let's talk about why. The defenders that we've called in are right back Reggie Cannon, right back Serginio Dest, right back Brooks Lennon, Center back, Mark McKenzie. Center back, Chris Richards. Left back, Anthony Robinson. Center back, Miles Robinson. Right back, DeAndre Edlin. And center back, Walker Zimmerman. <laughs> Did you notice anything <laughs> in that defending Are you noticing a roster? trend? Yes. <laughs> a huge trend Guys, here. <laughs> Tom, what do you think about this defending core? Like, How did Greg do in choosing and selecting these defenders? This is a 4 out of 10 defender pool for me not because of the names on it but because of just the wild construction i don't know why we called four center backs four right backs and a left back there are twice as many center backs as right backs in the field and you have to play a left back too unless you're going with a back three and we don't have the center backs for that i don't really see the need to have four center backs on the roster when Serginho dest should be expected to play the majority of the minutes there and deandre yedlin should spell the rest maybe reggie cannons there is a center back not a right back Maybe Dest is going to get some time on the left if Anthony Robinson needs a spell, but I don't understand why we didn't call a fifth center back in place of a fourth right back or called in a, life, a hybrid right back, left back like Joe Scally if we don't trust any of the other left back options from Jonathan Gomez to Joe Sc to um, excuse me Sam Vines to George Bellow to Dewan Jones, who was already in the COVID bubble. There were options that we could have had there. Heck, even just adding one name as another outside back would be great. But 
do you guys have any way to make sense of this? Because it seems like we're setting ourselves up to have a disaster at center back and a disaster at left back. No, I think the mistake is trying to make sense of Greg's decisions. I've kind of thrown in the towel on that at this point. Like you're, you're just never – whatever you expect or whatever you want him to do, it's, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you, you can't have your feelings hurt if you never, you know, actually invested them. So, at this point, you know, when you get rosters like this that come out, it's just – it's just Greg. Greg's gonna Greg. You know, there's no. As it seems that the more FaceTime you get with him, the more he falls in love with you, and then you're one of his guys, and he's gonna call you in. Like, as we've touched on, the right back depth is ridiculous on this roster. Joe Scally, that can play on the left. Granted, I would say he is much better on the right, but is definitely capable of filling in for us on the left hand side. Mark McKenzie really struggling for minutes lately, so he's a real surprise inclusion for me. Uh, again, just kind of seems like one of Greg's guys. And he, you know, he definitely is one of the, the locker room guys as well in there. It seems like he really gets along with everybody. If you follow any of these guys on Instagram, it seems like specifically Chris, Mark, uh, and I forget who else. They're always showing off their shoe game to each other. Uh, and so I definitely think that there's some com camaraderie pieces in here. But, you know, I still can't believe that we're not having Scally and Brooks in this roster over somebody like McKenzie that hasn't played in a while and Brooks Lennon, who, you know, this will be his first appearance in World Cup qualifying. It's just surprising yeah. to me. Yeah. The, the gall of Greg to talk about form for someone like John Brooks and then call in uh, again. <laughs> this is the same exact conversation that we had in November. Mark McKenzie <laughs> versus John Brooks. John Brooks is in form. Mark McKenzie is struggling for minutes. John Brooks is in a better league, and yet we bring Mark McKenzie. This is not a slight towards Mark McKenzie, but John Brooks, Tim Ream, Matt Miazga, all are getting minutes in better leagues than Mark McKenzie, and yet Eric Palmer Mark Brown. McKenzie. Yeah, Cameron Carter-Vickers. There we go. Okay, so five, literally five names on that list are in better <laughs> leagues getting more minutes than Mark McKenzie, and yet he's on this list. And to me, this is this has to be frustrating for players that are trying to get into the national team, that are trying to build chemistry and trying to make a name for themselves going into the World Cup year, and to then perform as expected and have a player like Mark McKenzie be called into this list. And again, this is no slight to Mark McKenzie. I'm happy to have him on, on this roster. I'm, I'm going to cheer for him if he hits the field. But as a coach... How can you look the other five players in the eye and say, I need to see more from you to make this roster? Yeah. Um, I'll Celtic, make one other yeah. point. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. Just, well, just <laughs> oh, wait until Aaron Long comes. Just wait until Aaron Long comes back, yeah. too. He's bumping one of those guys out of there. Yeah, Aaron Long in March is a very vir virtual lock for me. On Craig's <laughs> mind. <laughs> yeah. Tom, what were you going to say? I was going to note that Celtic fans were celebrating that Cameron Carter-Vickers didn't get a call up. Like, that's how good he's been for them. They see him as indispensable for their squad, and they have a game against Rangers this window. That might be why he didn't get called. But at the same time, if the club fans are celebrating when their player doesn't get a national team call-up, that tells you how important they are to their team and how well they've been playing of late. Yeah. I, I need to talk about Joe Scally for a second because <laughs> there's kind of like two avenues that I can't really understand. And Ryan, I understand you said like, the issue will be trying to make sense of Greg. But the fact of the matter is that we all care deeply 
about this team. We all care deeply about the results. We all care deeply about the players. And so in my mind, Brooks Lennon, a, a player that, sorry, Tom, close your ears as an Atlanta United fan, <laughs> is not at the level of Joe Scally. There, there's oh. no comparable level in my mind where Brooks Lennon is at the same performing level as Joe Scally, someone who's getting consistent minutes at a top table Bundesliga team. Okay, so that's number one. Then we go to, we have one left back. Joe Scally can play both positions. So why is he below Brooks Lennon in the depth chart as the right back? And why would we not construct a roster that's more flexible? We've seen how much Greg loves flexibility in wings slash number nines, players that can play both positions. Why is this not the same thought process for a right back versus a left back? And on that left back piece, I think we're we're all going to talk about and complain rightly, I think, about Joe Scali's omission. But Sam Vines not being on this roster as, as a left back, potential for this team, getting minutes in Belgium, again, like another player that's gone and performed in Europe, and yet we're calling in a player like Brooks Lennon over him. Not even over him. Why didn't we call in 30 players? Why didn't we call in Joe Scally? Why didn't we call in Sam Vines and have three left backs on this roster? It's it's crazy to me. And yeah, so it Greg, Greg doesn't rate Joe Scally. There are other options. Sam Vines is an option to replace them. Heck, someone like Dewan Jones, who's already in the COVID bubble, and rumors say that he'd impress the coach an insane amount, is a left back who's played excellent for Revs this year. He would be another player that would make sense as an inclusion instead of Brooks Lennon. Four right backs just doesn't make any sense no matter how you slice it. I don't understand why Brooks Lennon made this roster. It makes no sense at all, especially given Burhalter's love of positional flexibility. Scally's the obvious name, but there are five names I'd rather see on this roster before Brooks Lennon. Yeah. Ryan, yeah, any- and again... No, just again, we've talked about it. There's no limited number of players. So every single addition that we want to make to this roster, there's there's no reason not to make it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to move on without talking about John Brooks or the other center backs. Like, to me, again, Joe Scally, I said this on Twitter, Joe Scally is kind of the only hill I'll die on because other players deserve to be on this roster. Yes, I will concede that and I will agree with it, but it probably won't change the result of the game because I think that John Brooks wouldn't see the field anyway. For me, Joe Scally sees the field unless Anthony Robinson's about to play 270 minutes after playing 90 minutes every game for Fulham. Like I think Joe Scally being on this roster or another left back, any other left back changes the results in a positive manner for the U S so guys like John Brooks, any other center backs, like what did you guys think about going going away from that right back you know everyone has a right to complain about that what are the other issues with this defender core uh, for me I, I would have loved to have yeah i would have loved to have seen you know as we talked a little bit about brooks but uh i think it's too early but everything we've seen from epb over the last couple of weeks is the dude is finally comfortable and on fire for his club and he's another guy that you know, he he's reminds me a little bit of Chris Richards when you watch him play. Like, they're both good on the ball. They're both read the game quickly. They both can play, like, do solid 1v1 defending outside. I don't see them as being 
kind of that's like how Brooks, if he gets caught in a 1v1 situation, we all cringe. Versus those two, like a player like Richard or EPB, when they get isolated out on an island, you feel like we've got at least a decent chance. So guys like that, I think, are just around the corner. So it just, it really does scare me looking forward to the March camp, knowing that somebody like Aaron Long is going to walk right back in. And it just means that the minutes are going to be even more limited. So scary to think that if we're already talking about wanting to add another center back to this roster, let alone trying to remove one and replace it with Aaron Long. I think it's... Next window could be very interesting when we're looking at it. Well, we have enough to complain about. Like, let's let's put one step in front of the other before Aaron Long gets on this roster in March. I this I don't I there are legitimate reasons why I can see John Brooks like not being called in, but I they don't hold water for me. I I, I understand the excuses. I understand Brooks was responsible in large part for a goal against Hunter against El Salvador and against Canada last time we played this exact window flip fixtures so it makes sense that against three counter-attacking teams you might not want to bring john brooks but i don't know i just don't see that being an issue when you have tyler adams when you have miles robinson when you have walker zimmerman guys who can play athletic defense who can defend in a counter-attack you have a deandre yedlin who can cover an insane amount of ground very quickly to get back on a counter-attack it just feels like brooks's passing ability and ability to unlock a low block defense Hell, he is basically assisted the game winner against Honduras last time we played them at home. It's a player that can positively change the result in these games where you're playing against a low block. And I don't care if he has beef with Burhalter. I don't care if he might be a struggle in the locker room. A player with that kind of passing ability, when you're expecting to play three teams who are going to bunker, is a valuable asset to have and feels like he would deserve at least some minutes. I, I don't understand it. It feels like a snub to John Brooks is a snub to a lot of other players. Like just the message, the message that it sends, which to me, if I was a player again, would be extremely confusing. Like how, what do you want to see from me to make this team? I feel like that, that reverberates much further than just John Brooks. Yeah. All right. I think we've said our piece about (laughs) the defending group. Let's switch over to the midfielders. Just a quick note, Gianluca Busio does have COVID, so we wish him a quick recovery in Italy. Our midfielder core is Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, Sebastian Lejet, Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, and Christian Roldan. Guys, I, I know we we have the MMA midfield you know, in, in mind. There are a few other players that I think most fans would want to see come off the bench, that being Luca De La Torre probably first, Kellen Acosta second, and then just let's talk about these Sebastian Legette and Christian Roldan continuing to be called in. What's what's going on here? Is this because Gianluca Busio is not available? Is this because, you know, Cole Bassett is recently transferred? Why are these players continuing to make this roster? I think this is where we have to note that Greg Berhalter did not call in a single player, not named Ricardo Pepe, who transferred in January out of MLS. So you have your James Sands, your Cole Bassett's, who might be pushing for a roster spot here, who are just arriving to their clubs with it, have not even played minutes yet in some cases, or only played once in Sands' case, who could be additions to this roster, but Berhalter might not feel comfortable displacing them from this new club setup. So yeah, I'd love to see a Bassett or a Sands, but it might be more valuable long-term to have them off this roster and help them get settled with their new teams. Yeah, but... The fact of the matter is we have six games left. So 
they're missing this window. Ahead, we have three games left by the time they're they're with yeah. their teams. Yeah. Ryan, what did you think about the midfielders? So, yeah, I mean, there's a few other players that I'd like to see in here. But, uh, again, you know, I'm not going to lose it over what I would consider to be a couple of fringe guys. Uh, I think it is disappointing to see some of the retreads and not see new faces in there. Tom, I think, brings up a really good point that, you know, it could be for the Bassets and the Sands of the world that we want them just to slow down and get comfortable with their club. Uh, but then, you know, you even have somebody like Georgie Mihailovic that from all reports had a really good camp. Uh, I know you've been a big supporter of him over the last season, Tom, saying that, you know, he's crushing it in, ML or in MLS, that he's leading in assists, that he's up there with Carlos Heel as, you know, potentially one of the best players in MLS. So those are the type of guys that, you know, we want to start seeing instead of the Roldans and Villagettes of the world. Um, hopefully in this next window, what I'm hoping to see is us not needing them. Uh, realistically is, you know, if Luca can come in and kind of spare minutes for Musa in one game and McKenney in another, so they can help save some legs there. And then late in the game, if we're up, no, no harm in bringing in Acosta to either back up Adams or bring him in as a defensive aid to lock the game down. So hopefully I'm, we can get through this window with not needing Legette and Roldan because, you know, at this point, I think we know what we're going to get from them. I have 30, like some of the statistics on there, I think speak to what we've seen from them. Um, so it's, you know, they're, they're guys that are kind of just holding, holding a spot for somebody else that can hopefully, you know, continue to progress over the next year and come in and take that position. Yeah. Do, question. Do we think that this says something about our midfield pool that these two keep getting called? Is there something to the idea that maybe our developing midfielders just haven't performed or just not quite? displacing these two yet and forming camp. I mean, Mihailovic for sure is someone who should have been called in over Legette. That's an MLS best 11 caliber player versus someone who's been dropped by galaxy from the starting lineup. Another version of your take Jake that, you know, that made frustrating to a player, but on paper rolled on should be performing for the national team. And he's not, he might be showing something in camp that these others are not is, are we just overrating our midfield pool somewhat? I, I just, I can't make sense of it again. I mean, even if we just I think Greg Mihailovic. is overrating. <laughs> yeah, I think Greg <laughs> overrates part of our midfield too much. Uh, no, just in responding back to Tom, but yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily us that's overrating people. I, I, you know, it's probably the easy way out, but just to say that I think most people tend to see it a different way than Berhalter. Um, again, you know, we we just know what we're going to get from some of these guys. Well, Don for Seattle from, you know, I don't watch a ton, but correct me if I'm wrong here, Tom. Uh, he actually, you know, scores some goals and is part of their their offensive part of the game. When you've had 30 appearances and had none of that for the men's national team, it just shows that, you know, maybe you're playing at a little bit of a different position and that's why you're performing well for your club, but and then coming to the national team and being asked to do a different role. That totally could be the case because, you, know, you know, I could easily see – Yunus Musa getting up to around 20 to 25 games and potentially not having a goal because it's not necessarily something you expect to see from him all the time. So I don't want to like obsess on the fact that, you know, Roldan doesn't have any goals or assists with the national team. It's just when he's come in, we kind of see the, the easy, quick side passes, quick circulation, but nothing really dynamic. So again, I just hope that it's, we see the, the potential in some of our younger, younger midfielders, 
I think a perfect example is someone like Alex Mendez that just continues to get better day in and day out playing in the Portuguese league, but doesn't get a ton of attention. Um, and, you know, he's still a young guy that could fill in one of those eight roles and actually be somebody that would progress the ball offensively as well. And we could potentially lose him to Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm, Roldan makes more sense to me than Legette, even though the whole zero goals thing is baffling and very frustrating for a national team standpoint. Roldan at the beginning of the season in MLS was truly playing MVP caliber soccer. And he's had great seasons consistently since Seattle moved to their back three. But I feel like he just doesn't fit Burhalter's system. He's not a six. He's not a true eight. He's not a true winger. There just doesn't seem to be a good positional analog to him, what he plays for Seattle with the national team. And he's never looked truly comfortable anywhere we've put him on the field. So you just don't see him hitting a hitting his potential or playing international caliber soccer when he gets on the field for the U S. So I don't understand. Sometimes this is just something that happens with national team players, not doing the same thing they do for club. But if we know this, I don't understand why he gets brought in legit. On the other hand, I will all day long say that he's needs to be dropped at this point. He just doesn't have it anymore. He's not playing for galaxy. I don't think he's a starter for revs when he goes there. I, I don't understand. Yeah, if, if, if we just is if Bufizi, if Busi goes back, who gets dropped? Legit. Legit. You think Greg drops. <laughs> Legit. I mean, you think Greg drops Legit? I think Greg drops rolled on, but yeah, you... Legit is kind of the next step for me. I agree with Tom. Yeah, I personally, I it's would rather have rolled on on the roster if we have if we want a camp guy who's been in a bunch of camps to be a veteran in the midfield. I would rather it be Roldan than Legette because I think Roldan contributes more on the field than Legette does. How He's not great, old, but he contributes more. How old do you guys sure. think Christian Roldan is? He's mid-20s. 27? Yeah, he's 26. So it's yeah. not that old. <laughs> like I think he's still... Yeah. And if we just take Mihailovic, for example, he had 14 assists and four goals last season. He was playing an 8, a 10, and a left winger. If you look at Christian Roldan playing for the national team, he's playing as an eight, a 10, and a winger. He had six goals and five assists in MLS last season. Mihailovic is 23 years old. He's been with the camp now for the last month. To me, this is this is about Greg overrating his midfielder group, but it's also about him trying to keep a consistent core and not trying to change too much in really critical games like i think if we were already qualified we'd see greg take a little bit more risk in his roster and bring a few guys that aren't necessarily named sebastian legette or christian roldan on this roster but i think while we kind of have this up in the air still he's he doesn't want to rock the boat or really even if someone is playing above the station of christian roldan or sebastian legette or Kellen Acosta for that matter, I still think those players are going to make the roster until we have the World Cup locked in. So I just think it's Greg's mentality that he needs to keep this core going and these players, he, he really rates having the experience of a World Cup qualifying game and being away in CONCACAF more than maybe talent or form means for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, because I mean, at this point, our core is MMA. Like, 
<laughs> I, I hear what you're saying, Jake, and I think that is the, the rationale that Greg tries to put out there during pressers, but I'm, I'm not buying it anymore, man. We're late enough in qualifying that we've got enough of our core guys that have played away in CONCACAF. They know a little bit of what it's about. Christian's done it enough. Stefan's done it enough. You know, Miles Robinson has done it enough. Our whole MMA midfielders, like all of them, those are our core guys. So that now is time to, you know, we can't have guy, our midfielder number six, be one of like the core guys or like the, the locker room guys. If we've got enough of those that are in our starting 11 that I think could carry the weight and keep everybody really focused when they're in camp. So at this point, I, I, I personally would prefer we start valuing talent a little bit more than experience at this point. I, I completely agree. I, I think Greg yeah. is just saying I'd rather take the number nine midfielder than the number six midfielder because the num- the ninth best midfielder has the experience in CONCACAF and is more of a leader in his mind in the locker room. And we're not in the locker room, so we don't get a chance to see what that's like. So that might Fair. be a valid point, but we don't um, we don't know it. And because we don't know, it, we're going to evaluate talent more than experience, just because yeah. that's what we get to see. That's our data that we have to anal- analyze. For me, it's just frustrating because Greg sees that he can get a six out of ten consistently with Ariola, with Roldan, with Legit. Whereas he might get with someone who's less experienced with the national team, Mihailovic might get a four out of 10, but might get an eight out of 10. And he would rather play the consistent, this guy's going to give me a six every single time than he would take the chance that he's going to have a poor performance from a midfielder he doesn't know that could also give him a spectacular game and unlock a low block defense. And that's frustrating for us. Yeah. I think if Manny was here, his word of the day would be frustrating as it always is in these roster <laughs> reactions and breakdowns. So let's move to our forwards. We've we brought along a, a large core for the forward group. Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah is now back in, in fitness, and Giassi Zardes comes back as well. Guys, impressions of the forward group. Tom, maybe you'll kick us off here. This is who we expected. This is about who we've got available to us. You can quibble about strikers, but we have three striker options. I think Jesus Ferreira is the one name for me that is a little bit questionable, even though I really like Ferreira and I'm not going to complain about him as a player because I think he's just a great MLS option. But there are more informed strikers in Europe. Someone like Jordan Pifak has played more recently and been playing well. Someone like Josh Sargent is another name that could be in that spot. There are players... Daryl DK would be another name, but he's another one who just transferred out of MLS and might not be getting the nod because of that. In general, though, the wingers are the wingers we expected, the wingers we have healthy, we don't have Reyna, and the strikers are strikers. (laughs) Below Pepe, it's pretty much a crapshoot, and I'm not going to complain about any of them. Now, Ryan, I want to hear from you because you were on the Josh Sargent train and then he scored two goals. Are, Are you okay with the striker group? So a couple things. One, uh, I just thrilled to have Timmy Weah on this list. That's a name that I think no one really is really expecting. And then kind of got a, a late appearance for his club right before the roster was about to drop. And then got a start this past weekend for Lille as well. So 
thrilled in a position that we thought we were going to be short out at right wing to have somebody like Timo Weah healthy is just huge for us. Uh, the the only big difference that I would make in this really is I would be subbing out Josh Sargent for Paul Areola. I think Sargent can play on the wing, can play centrally as well. Uh, if Paul Areola is always always rated as one of those like work great guys. Well, I mean Josh Sargent is commonly referred to as the same type of guy. So uh, I see somebody like Josh being able to fill in more positions than Paul Areola could, and offer a little bit more going forward than Paul Areola does while still offering same defensive work rate. Um, excited to see Morris back in there. You know, I think his role could be very interesting to see because it's it's not – I don't see his game really playing towards a possession style. So if we are going to be a little bit more direct and Greg wants to play with verticality, having someone like Morris back coming back from injury, it will be good to see him. Uh, but besides that, yeah, I mean, a lot of people want to see Matthew Hoppy and DK on there. I kind of understand those being out. Calling Jazzy's art is up when he hasn't had a game since like November is is pretty surprising as well to me. But you know, again, I'm not going to lose my mind over it. The really big one that I am frustrated about that I think strongly deserves it is Sergeant. People, you know, weren't seeing it just before. The you know they saw that he was kind of playing with low confidence and wasn't really able to to reach his full potential. But how quickly things change in just a few weeks that. He's at the top of his game. He seems to be really enjoying himself out there. Uh, and again, with him being able to play forward and right wing for us, it, it, in my mind, there's no reason he shouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah, I'm surprised we don't have a more forwards who can play right wing on this roster. Someone like Gio Akini or Hoppy or I understand Hoppy, but Sergeant, another one who can do that. They would seem to make sense given our limitations there. Yeah. I mean, we're not really even talking about Gio Akini, even though he's getting minutes at Montpellier. It's a good League One team. He's... He hasn't necessarily scored, but it's kind of the same situation as a lot of our players in Europe right now, like nines that can play on the wing that showed really well at the Gold Cup. I mean, Giochini and Hoppy were two of our best players going forward at the Gold Cup. And then to see, you know, Paul Ariola again, okay, fine. I expected his name to be there, so that kind of preempted my frustration. But, I mean, someone that's playing in the top tier in Ligue 1 in France and can play the nine or the right wing over Paul Ariola makes a lot of sense to me. But because Paul Ariola has had two months FaceTime with Greg, Giochini's been in France, I, I doubted that we were going to see a player like that or Hoppy. And Hoppy, I think, has his own issues with, with Greg Berhalter as well. That probably needs yeah. some smoothing over. But uh, yeah, in general, shrug. Mm. Eh. I... I I would go to bat for Jossie Zardes's inclusion here, not because I, yes, I'm notably a Jossie. I like Jossie Zardes as a player, but I don't think that the he hasn't played matches holds water with him. Like specifically him, it's sort of the things he's good at are kind of uh, they make it so that it's he doesn't sort of lose the same form that others do. You're not bringing him because of his skillful touch. You're not bringing him because he's going to hit these gorgeous, immaculate passes gorgeous immaculate passes that other players can't hit when he's in form you're bringing him because he works hard he makes great runs off the ball he creates chances with his movement and those don't necessarily go away when you haven't played in three months so he's a guy that can come in for 15 minutes and play off the ball and still help us create chances even though he hasn't played a game in a few months and still give us what he can do in his full strength form so it's a name that's not exciting but I've looked at his goal scoring record again recently. He's 
he's probably one of our most clinical strikers in front of goal on his day, yeah. which is depressing, but <laughs> it's where we're at in our pool right now. And his off ball movement will create chances if he has to come in and play 15 minutes at the end of a game. I mean, outside of Christian Pulisic, Jesse Zardes is the highest scoring player for the U S men's national team on this roster. So yeah. I think, you know, given that we don't have a ton of nine nines in form or a ton of nines that were in form before the roster went out, it does make <laughs> sense at least a little to me. And that's good of your perspective, Tom. I think people, it, it does make sense for Giassi as well to, to just have been in camp. He's not a guy that necessarily needs form to score goals. So again, it's like, I'm all right with it. I don't necessarily agree that it was the best direction to go, but I see Greg's perspective, even though I don't agree with it. And that's kind of the best we can do as fans. But all right, guys, I don't want to give away how we feel this window is going to go. We're going to talk about this window later in the week, how we expect each game to go. The fact that Alfonso Davies, Eustachio, so the top two players for Canada are now out for them as well. It's it's starting to look optimistic. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling a bit optimistic going into this window. Let's talk about the points at the point where we talk about the, the window, but I want to hear your grade for the World Cup qualifying roster. Scale of 1 to 10, what are you giving this roster? 1 to 10, I'll give it a 7. 7? Wow. <laughs> Ryan, I, I was yeah, expecting I mean, way lower for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, again, there's a handful of guys. I, I think we're talking about four to five guys that I would like to see on this roster over some of the guys we do have. But again, I, I still think you can afford to be optimistic because we haven't seen the 23 yet. I think that's where true depression could kick in is on game day when the 23 comes out and you see guys like, you know, De La Torre not in the 23. If you see guys like, you know, Mark McKenzie, or like if you see Walker Zimmerman not in the 23, if you see, I would prefer, you know, someone like Cannon, if he's not in the 23, I get a little worried there as well. So, you know, if we if we see Timothy Weah coming back from injury on the bench for someone like Ariola, that's when this roster real quick goes from a seven to a four. So right now there's still enough talent in there for me to be optimistic. Again, if we have three to four changes that we'd prefer, then this quickly can go up to an eight or nine. So that's why I think it's, it's reasonable to give it a seven at this point, but uh, time will still tell on game day. We'll, uh, we'll reevaluate once we have more data. Yeah. The, this is the do or die window for me. And so with that said, and with the center back and right back and left back constructions with our defensive roster construction in general, and the, overwhelming magnitude of the situation I'd, i can't give it higher than a six for that just because i think that there are problems coming down the line on our back line and i don't want to see albert albert elise running past us to a one nil counterattack out of nowhere goal in a 10 degree game in st paul which could end our qualification right there and that's terrifying so <laughs> don't don't put that into the universe tom <laughs> I, I I agree. I'm going to give this a six and then plus or minus two, depending on who makes the 23. So kind of an amalgamation of, of both of your, your scores. <laughs> All right, guys, we've gone through each of the positions. We've talked about the roster and how we feel about it. Let's, let's give the last word for the podcast for the day. Tom, kick us off with your last word. 
just excited to get back to World Cup qualifying, nervous for the results. I finally got my models up and running. I know what the math says, and I'll reveal what that says later on in the week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, just glad we have some games again. It's love the U.S. Love watching the play. We've talked a lot about this roster and who's on it, but now that they're on it, I'm just going to cheer so hard for whoever's on there to get us to the World Cup because we can do it this window. This is the window we're going to qualify. Nice. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, same thing for me. I think it's just important to remember to support whoever is wearing the crest. I think, you know, when the when the roster comes out, by all means, feel free to nitpick here and there. But uh, as we get closer to, to game time, I know no matter what, it, it could be it could be Acosta and Leggett and Roldan and, you know, everybody we don't want to see potentially out there. And if that's who Greg picks, then on that day, I'm supporting him 100%. So let's let's remember to have a little bit of fun with this. Just be behind the guys. And, you know, it's okay to be chapped on Greg before game day. But uh, come, come game day, let's be excited and support the boys. Yes. I love that we have some games upcoming that uh, not only do we get to talk about it, but we get to enjoy them as fans. We get to support our boys on the march towards World Cup qualification. So, guys, thanks so much for listening, for watching. It's crazy that I think in November when we were doing these podcasts, the scrolling line across the bottom said subscribe so we can hit 2,000. We're now at 2,700 subscribers. So if you have watched this podcast before, if you've listened before, make sure to subscribe to the channel so we can get to 3,000 by the end of these World Cup qualifying games. And we will see you later in the week, probably in the next few days, to break down how we feel the window is going to go. And Tom gave a little bit of a teaser there. He'll break down his models to see how likely it is that we'll qualify for the World Cup in this next window. Until then, have a great week.